0: So we are in the middle of a really long series. I preached in November, and we're, I, pe- I preached 2 Timothy 1. We are now in 2 Timothy 3, but we are covering good ground. Are you guys learning a lot? Uh, we're really learning. We're really growing, so I'm excited about that. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy 3. Um, I'm just going to give a brief synopsis for those of you who are just now stepping in the middle of this so you're not lost. Uh, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. Paul is in prison about to die, and he knows this. He's been through lots of persecution, but this he knows this is the end. So he's sending a letter to Timothy saying, please come see me, and here's kind of my last will of what I think you need to do. Um, My tips. Last time I preached, I called it tidbits from Timothy, or tidbits for Timothy, um, because Paul is just expressing his heart. "Here's, Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's what I feel. Here, hold tight to this. Guard the gospel. So he's given him lots of tips. Um, so we're going, to break, we're going to read the whole chapter. My goal tonight is to go through the whole chapter. So put on your seatbelts, and we're going to knock it out. Um, we're going to break it up into two parts. The first one is verses 1 through 9. And my Bible titles this, Perilous Times with Perilous Men. And the second part is verses 10 through 17, uh, the man of God and the word of God. So it's kind of a two-part thing that Timothy, uh, that Paul's sharing with t- Timothy here. Um, just a little tidbit that Mark told me that I thought was cool. First um, Timothy 3 tells us all the things that we should not do. Not the whole chapter, but if you read through First Timothy 3, you should do. First Timothy 3 is all the things that you should do. So if you look back, it tells you all the good things that you should be doing: um, gentle, be blameless, blameless, be hospitable. If you turn to Second Timothy 3, it's all the things that you should not do. Don't be unloving, don't be proud, don't be blasphemous, all that kind of stuff. So I thought that was kind of a cool thing. So 1 Timothy 3 and 2 Timothy 3. My husband's full of lots of cool little information like that. All right, so turn to 2 Timothy 3. We're going to start in verse 9, or in verse 1. Um, I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version. But know this, in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that sound perilous? Yes, I'm like, ooh, that sounds bad. So that word perilous right there, the Greek word is shapalos. That's my that's my go at it. Um, It means difficult or dangerous. So if you think of the times that this is talking about, it's talking about times that are difficult or dangerous. That Greek word derives from a different Greek word, shaleo, which means to lower, or through the idea of reducing its strength. So when you talk about perilous times, a lot of us, I know I do, I think of the end times and how horrible they're going to be. We've seen Hollywood portray this, and we've read about it in Revelation. But to be honest with you, when I read this, I think, hmm, I think we're kind of living in some perilous times right now. They're difficult, they're dangerous, these kind of things, although all together they look really bad, but if you kind of single them out, hmm, some of those sound a little bit familiar. So why are these times difficult and dangerous? The main one that I get out of that is people are lovers of self, lovers of self. People love to gratify their own lusts and make provisions for themselves instead of for others. Self-love opens the door to all sorts of other sin. When we love ourselves and we put ourselves first, it's just a matter of time before we're doing all sorts of other sin. Because we've already opened the door. We've already said, God, I'm going to set you over here because I love myself. <laughs> right? And it opens the door to all sorts of stuff. When people only love themselves, they don't care about other people. They don't care about what God has for other people. This causes us to guard against each other, right? It ca- causes us to, well, if you're watching out for you, who's watching out for me? So I'm going to watch out for me. You better watch out for you. And we begin to build those walls we begin to take care of ourselves. Now, this is exactly opposite of what God calls us to do. Opposite. God calls us to love others as we love ourselves. God calls us to reach out and think of others before ourselves. So perilous times, difficult, dangerous times are when we love ourselves more than we love others. And you think of Lucifer. He did exactly this. He loved himself. He was so beautiful and he was so wonderful that he got prideful and he thought, gosh, people should be worshiping me. I'm totally awesome. Because he loved himself so much that he thought people should worship him. We know what happened to him, right? wasn't good. So these are perilous times, and each one of us are guilty. If we look back at those words, lovers of self, lovers of money, unholy, unthankful, disobedient or disrespectful to our parents, haughty, headstrong. We think we know it all. We're lovers of pleasure. Oh my goodness, does that not define our country and our nation? Lovers of pleasure. Everything we do is to please ourselves and to keep us entertained and make me feel good, right? This is us, you guys. This is not some horrible or rare type of person. We all can can be this perilous type of person that Paul is talking about. We tend to be lovers of self. So that's part one. That's what perilous means. Difficult, dangerous, and all those words that we described. The second part of that, the other definition was to reduce the strength of who God is in our lives. To reduce the gospel to its lowest denominator, to its lowest factor. So perilous. If you look around, it could be that God is not in the things he should be in. He's not first in our churches, in our lives, in our families, in our businesses, in our workplaces, in our friendships. Could it be that the times are perilous because we've reduced God to the lowest factor and said, yeah, I believe God, but does he heal? Mm, I don't think so. Can he really get me a better job? Haven't seen it yet. Can he really heal my kid? I don't know. We've reduced it. We, We believe in him. And I think a lot of our churches and a lot of us and a lot of times... Oh, yeah, God, Jesus died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when it really comes down to it, do we reduce it down to where there's no power left? That, to me, and that is what I'm getting out of these scriptures, that is perilous times. Amen? So let's go on to verse 5. This plays right into verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. So run from these people. When I always read this, I thought of false prophets. I'm like, those horrible people that are preaching and doing all this stuff, and they're just out slandering God, and they don't know what they're talking about. And I I just felt like it was this rare group of crazy people. There were these false prophets. But I don't think that anymore in reading this. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So this is talking about people who will assume the form of godliness to take away their blame, so take away my blame in this situation, but not submit to the power of God to take away their sin. So the Spirit-Filled Life Bible, which is my favorite Bible, by the way, has this to say. Some will maintain an outward pretense speaking the vocabulary of Christianity but refusing the reality that the Christian faith expresses. The power they deny is the heart of Christianity, the fact of a risen Redeemer, the truth of the inspired Word of God, and the indwelling and overflowing of the Holy Spirit, working within believers and transforming their lives. So you think about other churches, you think about other religions, you think about people. How many people, honestly, how many people do we know that say, I'm a Christian, and they do nothing that a Christian should do. And not that there's a list, but their life does not reflect Christianity or Christ at all. It's just some title. Maybe their parents were Christians. Maybe they just think it's the thing to do. And so they're like, yeah, I'm a Christian because they don't really know what they are. And somewhere along the line, they believe in God, so they claim to be a Christian. And some of us, when we were younger, we didn't know the word. We did that. I'm a Christian. Until we realized what that really meant, we're like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm totally Christian. And then the fruit began to fall. From that lifestyle, right? So, do we have a form of godliness, but are we denying the power? Do we say we're a Christian, but then when we go to pray for people, we we have no hope that God will actually heal them? Do we claim to be a Christian, but when God, when somebody at work needs prayer, we're like, Yeah, I'll pray for you at home, (laughs) and then we forget. You know, denying the power that could be played out in a million different ways. And I'm not saying we're false prophets by any means. That was just my perception of what the scripture meant. But as I'm reading it, I'm like, gosh, perilous times. Peril- I can be a perilous person sometimes. It's difficult and dangerous. And look at all these words. Without self-control, unthankful, haughty, whatever. We can be those things sometimes. When we choose to be lovers of self, we deny that power—the power. The, pow- the very thing that we're saying we believe in we are denying. When we say we're Christians, that thing from spirit the Life Bible that I read, the fact of a risen Redeemer, the truth of the inspired Word of God, the indwelling and overflowing of the Holy Spirit in our lives, if we are not actively doing that, we're just saying we're a Christian. They are em- It's that form of godliness, but denying its power. Right? We can't wait for the next pastor, or the next televangelist, or the next preacher or missionary to lay hands on the sick and see the people healed that has to be every single one of us every single day in Walmart at our schools in our houses in our cars as we're driving around God has to be activated in our lives or else we just have a form of godliness I don't want that This these scriptures I when I was studying I would just cry I couldn't even get through them because I'm like Lord don't let this be me I don't want to have a form of godliness. And then I can't even pray for someone and expect them to be healed. Now, I can't heal them, but I can pray and believe that God will heal them because God is the healer. Amen? But we can't just have a form of godliness and just act like that's okay. It's not okay. We have to live our lives with conviction. So that word to deny the power means to refuse or reject. So when God starts invading our life and says, I want to start using you to heal. I want to start using you in the children's ministry. I want to start using you with that friend at work. And we're like, hmm, and we start doing this, what are we doing? We're denying, we're refusing that power. Just throwing it out there, form of godliness, but denying the power. And I don't think we live our lives like that, but I do feel like there are areas in our life where we do that. So when I read all those things, I think, honestly, it comes back to trust. Do we trust him or do we not? Do we believe he is who he is? Who he says he is? Are they empty words or do we believe it? Do we know it? All right, let's move on to verse 6 through 9. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they were progressed no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs will also. So in these seducers go after the weak and vulnerable, and I think that's what these scriptures are saying, they go after, they don't even come out in the open. It talks about them going into the homes They would knock on the doors and go into the homes. So these false prophets, they're not like we think they are, like out like, yeah, proclaiming all this false doctrine. How many times do you really see that? They're wiggling their way into our lives, teaching us false doctrine. They're making it culturally acceptable so that it sounds good. And we, as leaders, as church, as a church body, as believers, as Christians, we have to make sure we're not doing that that we are not taking the word of God and twisting it to make it feel good. Or we have those friends that don't know God, and so we're like, well, we kind of water it down. Well, I think what the word means is this, right? I think if you just do this, instead of just telling them, no, God God is real. I'm not kidding. God is real. He wants to heal you because you're scared that they might not get healed. We have got to give them the true gospel, right? We can't water it down. We can't be one of these people that goes in the back door and seduces Um, so that's the first that's kind of the first part just grasping the fact that we do live in difficult and dangerous times you think about the shootings you think about all the different things the perversion and all the different things that go on that we hear about think of all the things that we don't hear about we live in difficult times we are facing difficult things and I think in this nation we don't feel it as bad because we've got so many other pleasures on the other side You look at other countries, they have shootings and they have wars and they have all these things, but they also don't have food, they also don't have money, they also don't have joy. We have all these comforting things in our society that make us feel good, so often we forget how bad and perilous our times can be. Does that make sense? All right, let's go on to the second part. The title of this in my Bible is called The Man of God and the Word of God. So verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which have happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them the Lord had delivered delivered me. So in all three of these places... He got persecuted in a lot of more places, but those are the three places that Timothy was with him. So he's referring to the three places that Timothy was actually with him and saw with his own eyes and felt the pain of what happened when Paul was being persecuted. And so those are the ones he's referencing. Now keep in mind, he's writing a letter. He just went through this whole thing of all these perilous times, and this is what's going to happen, and this is what people are going to look like. But you, he says at the beginning of this, but you, Timothy. So... Have you ever talked to your kids like that and you're like, the world's crazy and kids are doing drugs and, but you, right? Cause we're like, it doesn't really matter what everyone else is doing cause you are my kid and you love God. And there's, you're drawing the line right there, right? So that's what Paul's doing. He's drawing the line. He's like, but you, Timothy, have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life. Purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecution, and affliction. Timothy witnessed all of those things. You know when you have a friend and you go through hard times together? Doesn't that draw you close? If life is always great, it's like, yeah, you're my friend, that's great. When you have to go through hard times together, you're like, don't mess with my friend. Right? You have that bond because you've overcome something together, and you had to pray for each other, and you, you, you cried together and you, together, and you prayed together, and you pressed in, and you saw victory. Right? You're buddies. Don't mess with us. Right? That's how Paul and Timothy were. They had a strong relationship. Paul was like Timothy's mentor, if you will. He was discipling Timothy. He was showing him the way. They had brotherly love for each other. Timothy saw the good and the bad, the personality quirks, the weaknesses, the fears, the insecurities. Paul was real, right? He had all those things. And Timothy got to see all of those things. Timothy still saw that Paul's manner of life was full of the love of God. Was full of integrity, and Paul always protected the truth. Always if you go back and read, he always protects the truth. In Acts 20:27 20, it talks about that Paul kept nothing back from his hearers, that he declared to them the whole counsel of God every time. It did not matter if people would agree. It did not matter if the culture allowed for it. It did not matter if it would rock the world or make people mad or throw him in jail or persecute him, stone him. He faced all of those things every time he opened his stinking mouth. Right? We don't have to worry about that. He did. And he did not compromise. He gave the whole counsel of God every time. And that's what he's telling Timothy. You saw my manner of life. You saw my doctrine. Do that. Do that. But you do that. Don't do all these other things. Don't be unthankful. Don't be unholy. Don't go along with the times, the difficult times. You keep on keeping on, right? Can't you just see Paul's finger? Like, come on, Timothy. So who is your Timothy in your life? Who's watching you and learning from you? Is it someone at your work? It's definitely your kids. Your spouse, your neighbor, a family member. Do you have those people in your life that you constantly witness to, you constantly share the love of God, and you're like, are they ever going to come to know Jesus? I'm doing everything. Trust me, they are watching. They're watching as you go through the ebb and flow of life and things get difficult. How are you going to handle it? They're watching. When we almost went through a foreclosure, I was like, oh, if people are watching, this is rough, because it's real. And God rescued us, and we were able to testify of his goodness. But they're going to watch you in the lows. They're going to watch you in the highs. And our manner of life has got to be the whole counsel of God and lifting up the name of Jesus regardless. Amen. And that's what exactly what Paul's telling Timothy. Paul, who went through all this persecution, if he can have a manner of life and stick true to the doctrine... In the gospel, right? Surely we can too. I love this quote by Matthew Henry in his commentary about this passage. He says, Paul did not pull down his living what he built up by his preaching. So when we preach something, our life, it better match up. We better not preach this awesome, victorious God who can do anything and live our lives like we don't believe an ounce of it. Right? If he really did. If you really believe he's the king of kings and that he's sitting at the right hand of the father, interceding on behalf day and night, that he can heal today just like he healed yesterday, that he's the great I am, that he's our strong tower, victorious, all of those things. I could We could go on about that for days. If we truly believe that, our life should reflect that. They should not be two different things. Yeah, I believe it, but nobody would guess it. People should be able to look at us and go, hmm, something's different. How How is he smiling in the midst of that storm? He always has an encouraging word, and not that we don't go through things, but our doctrine and our manner of life does not change. Amen? Amen. The more fully we know the doctrine, the word of God, the more closely we cling to it. I'm going to say that again. The more fully we know the word of God, the more closely we cling to it. The more I get into his word, the more I fall in love with him. He just draws you in. Those words on those page are just words. You study, and you grab a hold, and you reach in, and you ask questions, and you ask God to speak, and you take notes, and you chew on it, and you ponder it, and God just changes you. like he's got your heart in his hand and he's just massaging it and just doing things and just reading his word. When people live loosely with their Christian lives, I believe it is because they do not know and understand his word. It is my goal to tell everyone I know, know his word. My kids, the Lord put it on my heart to put a little whiteboard in each one of their rooms because I was crying out to God I want to know your word more I want to know your word more God and I began to read more and began to study more and then I was like God I want my kids to know your word do they know your word other than what they learned every Saturday and what they learned in Sunday school Are they, do they know your word and all of a sudden I was like do they know your word and, the, and so I got them each a whiteboard with the Expo markers and every Sunday night we pick a new scripture and we write it down and it's across from their bed. So throughout the week they'll see it. And sometimes by the end of the week they've got it memorized. And other times they're like, Mom, I barely read it. Keep it up there another week. But they've got the word of God, even if it's a little bit more than it was before. Getting the Word of God in our hearts. How many battles have we gone through and you rely on that scripture and you're like, Greater is He who is in me than He's who's in the world? And they just start flying. You're like, Wow, I don't I didn't remember that I knew that. But out of the heart the mouth shall speak. We gotta put the word of God in our hearts, Amen. All right, let's move on to verse twelve. Yes, and all who desire to live a godly to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been, been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love that last part. That the man of God, that I, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many times do we feel ill-equipped? Daily. (laughs) I think we all, you know, regardless of what it is, there comes that point where you're like, i so not ready for this. God's like, yes, you are. Why? Because of him. Because of the word that is in us. If you are in a dry season, I want to encourage you to get in his word. Start studying. I decided this year I was going to read the whole Bible. I've never read the whole Bible. And people ask me, and I'm like, I've never read the whole thing. I want to read the whole thing. So I started, and I'm doing it chronologically. And I was telling Mark, I'm starting in Genesis, and it tells me what to read every day. It's about 15 minutes, about, you know, three or four chapters a day. And I told him, it's going to take me like two years or three years because I start taking notes, and I'm like, wait, what does that mean? Why did he say that? And in Genesis, they lived to be like 900 years old. And then God says, but I'm going to cut it down because you're evil people and you're only going to live 120 years. And then after that, they lived more than 120 years. So I'm like, I'm really confused. I thought he said they were going to reduce the years. And so then I start studying. But I'm in the word of God. Let's get in the word of God. Let's figure out what he's trying to say to us. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to read 2 Timothy, that last portion, verse 14 through 17 in the Message Bible. But don't let it phase you. Stick with what you learned and believed. sure of the integrity of your teachers. Why? Why you took in the sacred scriptures with your mother's milk, meaning your whole life. There's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and training us to live godly ways. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. So if we don't feel ready, get in his word. It says right here, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together. I am put together and shaped up for what he has for me. Through the word. How many times do we try to do all this other stuff to get us ready? And God's like, just could you just read that book, that you, you know, the Bible. Could, could you read that? It shapes up. It changes us. It molds us. It chisels us. It hurts sometimes. It's equipping us. It says right here, showing us the truth, exposing our rebellion. You want to sign up for that one? Right? Um, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Those are the things we do want because that brings us to a godly life. That word of God, the inspiration of God, means divine when it says the scriptures God breathed. Inspiration of God, divine revelation, infallible truth literally in the Greek means God breathed. So I'm just going to rattle off some things. Paul breaks down in this chapter for Timothy so beautifully. These are difficult and dangerous times, people including us, our lovers of self. People claim to be Christians, but deny the very truth of it. But you know the truth. You have witnessed my life, is what Paul told Timothy. You will face persecution and false teachers, but you must continue in these things. Know the scriptures. Let them show the truth. Expose rebellion and correct and train us so that we can be complete and ready for every good work. I was thinking about this. Paul could have wrote all this new stuff. Oh, and I forgot. There's these 200 other things to do. And he said, remember what you've already learned and the manner in which I lived my life. Don't compromise the gospel, the doctrine. Guard it with your life. If it were me, like preparing my kids, I would have rattled off 200 other things. And don't forget, and don't forget, and don't forget. Do these other things. They'd be like, I'm so confused. Paul was very clear. Do what I did. Preach it. Preach the whole gospel. Don't compromise. Do it. It doesn't matter if it's perilous times. It doesn't matter if it's difficult. Continue in it, was his encouragement. So for us, I think these are the things. I have four listed things here. Number one, recognize and discern the times, the culture, and the temptations. So recognize the times. Every now and then, we have to stop and discern. What what time are we living in? What's going on? What's going on in, in my culture, in my life, in Erie, in Broomfield, in Arvada, in Denver? You can get the temperature hanging out with your friends, Hanging out with your coworkers. What, what are people struggling with these days? I find themes. I'll hang out with people, and it's like this person, this person, just kind of like this. Everyone's struggling with pride, or everyone's kind of that's getting engaged. That's asking God for discernment on the times, and then you begin to pray. And you can do that over coffee, at the movies. You don't have to be like, what is God doing in your life right now? <laughs> what are you battling? It doesn't have to be that. You just listen between the lines. And here, what is what do they need prayer for? What is going on in my culture right now? Number two. Repent and reset our eyes on the heart and heart, sorry. Reset our eyes and our heart on the Lord. So once we recognize, and sometimes obviously we need to recognize the times in our own lives, in our own heart. And as God brings things, we repent and reset our eyes on Him. Number three. Continue in the ways of the Lord, knowing the word of God. And that's what Paul kept saying. Continue in it. It doesn't matter. Just do it. Keep going. Don't give up. Press on. And number four, be available and ready to be used. If we do all those things, we don't do anything with it. You know, that's the whole point, right? To get out there and share the love of Jesus, to be a light. So I'm going to share a little story. A lot of you that know me well know this. All three of our kids were in competitive soccer. was like, oh, seriously? Um, in Westminster. And they played soccer since they were little. So when we knew God had called us to Erie, we knew we would be moving. They all tried out for the teams. They all made it. We're all very proud. That's what we do. We play soccer. And so they all signed up, and we're all in. And last fall, Mark and I almost lost our minds. Not really. But it was crazy. Monday through Friday. We'd leave at 3.34. We'd get home at 7 or 8 at night. We'd be eating on the road, eating pot roast at 8 o'clock, doing homework in the car, lack of sleep. Nobody liked each other because we were always on the road. Get in, get out, get in, get out. Not to mention the financial obligation. We loved it, but it also was very consuming. Mark has a full-time job, pastoring a church, doing all these different things. And my heart in it was... I'm committed. We committed to this. We're going to be committed. I'm doing the right thing. I'm teaching my kids to be committed. That that was where I was. And it, as exhausting as that was, the thing I had in it was I'm we're committed. So after fall we were exhausted. We told all the coaches we're taking the first winter session off. We need a break. We were having family meals together. The kids were playing games together and I'm like, do people really live like this? This is awesome. But we began to pray, and we thought we'd just stick out the year and we began to pray. And I began to get anxious about the spring season starting up all the commitment and all the schedules and all the driving and all the gas and all of the things. And so we begin to talk and pray. And I was like, but we're committed. Mark's like, Kara, I kind of feel like you've made this a God. No, I haven't. mm I'm just committed. I'm committed. I'm teaching our kids to be committed, right? And Mark was like, okay, we'll pray about it, but I feel like we've kind of made this a God in our family. And I was like, okay, I'll pray about that. I prayed about that, and I had that yucky feeling in her stomach, and we were like, dang it, he's right. All right, babe, you're right, you're right. This has And I didn't mean for it to be. It just, was, it just kind of all evolved, and before I knew it, we were smack dab in the middle of it. So we began to pray, and we felt that, like the Lord said, call Pete, who is overall of soccer, and go from there. But you've got to put your priorities back in order. You've got to put your family first. You've got to put God, family, all the different things. And not that at some level, but some, le- some ways it was out of whack. You know, there was this tilt in this thing. And because we were so committed to soccer, other things, we were late to prayer. Or we were exhausted. We weren't doing some of the other things because soccer had taken that place. Does that make sense? So we prayed, talked to Pete. Pete totally understood, and he's like, you know what, your kids are great. If they ever want to come back, they can come back. I'll refund all your money for spring soccer. Because we had said, okay, if he doesn't refund our money, which you sign a million papers saying you're committed, you won't get any refunds. Um, but he said, I know you're not pulling out your kids to move them to a different club. I know your heart. I know your pastors. So I will refund your money. So we're like... And while we were praying about that, Jordan, Jor- they, the kids didn't know. Jordan said, hey, Mom, I don't think soccer is my favorite sport anymore. And I'm like, really? Why? He's like, I don't know. I think it's time for me to try basketball. And I'm like, God, you're so good. Like, I think as parents and, and you know, bosses or whatever, we worry about the details. And God's like, Psh, you're worried about it. They're not. They were totally fine. She, she's already started basketball at her school in Erie. Woohoo! Awesome. But this whole story is to just come back to the fact that we've got to recognize the times. What is the temperature in your family? What is the temperature at work? What is the temperature? Discern the times. And that's what we had to do in our family. We had to discern the times. And then when God spoke, we had to repent. We had to reset our eyes on God. And I'm not saying to pull your family out of all your activities. It just for that season, at that moment, we had allowed other things and this is what I want to drive home is our culture. Our culture tells us this is the way we live our lives. Our culture with younger kids playing sports. You play one sport and you play all year long. Cause if you don't, your kids gonna lose their spot on the team and it's all this pressure and we gave into it. Cause they had always played and they were good and they got the spot on the team. And so you play all year long because if they don't, they might not make the team next season and we're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. That's ridiculous. And you might look at me and go, you're ridiculous, Kara. That's all right. But what area in your life, what areas have we allowed culture to define how we live? You have to work 50 or 60 hours. I'm only going to pay you for 40. But you have to put in 50 or 60 or you're not going to have a job. Do we do that? Like, What other things do we give into? Because it's our culture. And God's like, "No, draw the line. I never said that. That's not what I have for you. I have something way better for you." Does that make sense? So that's what we had to do and we have we're continuing and God is blessing. And as we go through life, we have those times where we have to shift and go, "You know what? I thought this was right. But God showed me and he revealed because I discerned the times and I recognized it, and I repented and we're going this way." So we always want to follow after God's heart. Amen. Amen. So what areas in your life tonight is God asking you to give to him? Is it something like soccer? Something that's taking over? Is it your marriage? Is it how you're raising your kids? Is it how you're trading a friend? Is it that every time you have an opportunity to share Jesus, you smirk up and you shrivel up and you don't do anything? Is it that you proclaim you're a Christian and your fruit? There's not a lot of fruit. Is it that God has called you to do something and you're not doing it? Guys, we live in difficult times. But each one of us has been chosen and plucked out, picked by God. And if we get so consumed with the season and the culture that we're in, we often forget that there's a bigger picture. That there's this amazing, loving God. And all he wants to do is be known. How does he be known? How does he be known? Through us. I think that's crazy that when Jesus left, he said, I have to leave. It will be better for you. But you're Jesus. How is that better? Can you imagine the disciples? I would be so confused. How is that better? If you leave. Because the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us. Jesus, well, he could have, but he didn't because he was man form. He was 100% God, but 100% man. He could only be, right? But we all have the Holy Spirit all over the world sharing the love of Jesus. That's how it's better, a life full, overflowing with the Holy Spirit so that we can reach in and touch people where they're at. There are people at your work. God has planted you and you think well I got this job because that's what I went to college for you got that job because God put you there there's a season for everything wherever you are whether you're at Target whether you're in office whether you're at home whether you're traveling like Renee all over the country God has put you there and we gotta recognize the times recognize what people are going through around us we've got to make an impact. That's what we're called to do. That's what, I mean, doesn't that just make your heart beat when you get to minister to someone or you get to speak life to them? You get a phone call and you're like, you know what? I was just thinking about you. Let me pray for you. Doesn't that just make your heart happy? Because that's what we're created to do is share that love of Jesus. Amen.